your support. Messages, the cards, other acts of generosity. Stand with us during this time. When my oldest Kathy called me on Thursday, Thursday evening, share with me. Uh, flooded happiness. Really, really, because uh, I was happy that she was in the of the Lord, and she arrived. She was with Jesus. And made me feel good. I was happy about. It was um, bread die is gain and uh, with Christ is far better so as the said the gospel is not just for lost people the gospel is for people who know the Lord yes. amen because I began to think about how when Jesus was on the cross he said um, father into your hand I commit my spirit because the Father received the spirit of God, um, he was able to receive the spirit of my mom because of what Jesus did on behalf of my mother. And so he received Jesus. It was just proof that he received my mother on the day. And as I was flipping through the Gospels, I realized something in the Synoptic Gospels. In the Synoptic Gospels, every time it mentions right before Christ died, right before he gave up the spirit, the Bible says he could shout. Matthew and Mark did this a loud shout and he gave up his spirit. And when my family told me about my mom and how uh, on Thursday, raining all day and, uh, and as she passed, worship music in the room and Anthony Evans song It Is Well with Soul my favorites and uh, her breathing was a little and they had turned her to one of her left side and she's in on one of her grandchildren her granddaughter Kennedy just looking at her her, her actually her great granddaughter and her granddaughter, Kathy Robert, my niece, was speaking to her. So as my niece was speaking to my mom, my great granddaughter with it playing, and she breathed in peace. And they kept telling me, rest in peace. And I think about how she was able to pass peace as Christ loudly. He died loudly, shouting so that my mom could pass in peace. And listen, if you don't know Jesus, <laughs> I know what you're going to do. You, you, you're going to turn to something in those moments that, you know, hurt, unpredictable. Um, but man, when you have the Lord. Nothing like it. And so my prayer time, they would get longer and longer. Like, <laughs> Holy Ghost hit it. She just, I'm like, Ma, I got stuff I got to do. And, and then she started reading scripture. 
Like, we, we had a service before I would come and have the service with y'all. So many Saturdays that that occurred. <laughs> and so now I'm like, wow, the vantage point she has with, with the Lord. And, and, and that is our hope. You know, she, she left the land of the dying to go to the land of the living. She is full and free and whole and well in the presence of God. And if you don't know the Lord, I like Zacchaeus, Paul, because nobody told Zacchaeus what to do. When you have a changed heart, you'll do what the Lord will have you to do. You know, and so that itty bitty man had a great big heart. And it showed. And man, when he touches you, when Jesus changes your life, when he comes in, oh man, like Elder Sherman said, um, sin remains, but sin is not the boss. Your relationship to sin changes because of your relationship with God. He's so real. And uh, so if you see me, like, man, how come I'm not tore up and falling out? Now, my brother said he had his falling out time about 3 in the morning on Friday. I had my time. I'll have some more times. Elder Clifton was like, hey, man, I'm going to get you in three weeks. All right? And we're going to hang out. Because anyone who's walked through this, you know how it goes, you know? But again, God is with you, and to be a part of a community, and I know I'm not getting this love because I'm the pastor. We, we try to do this with everybody, call on you, check on you, and, uh, and so the, 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 the faith, the household of faith is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But no, man, when God gives you peace that surpasses your understanding, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding and wonder why I have peace beyond my understanding. I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real. He keeps... And so, uh, yeah, now pray for us because we got a couple of family members back in Baltimore. You know, they ain't all, all there. Yeah, yeah. Just letting y'all know. You know. We got a couple of them now. Not, not in the immediate family. We got a couple of them. Now. <laughs> and, and that's why I don't know if we're going to televise it or not because <laughs> we got some. We, your family got some. Everybody got some, right? So we just, we just got to be led by the Lord on that one. Jesus. Well, all right. Let's go over to Psalm, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16. We're going to conclude our series this morning. On the 1619 sermon series, we're going to finish it up this morning, if the Lord allows. And then we'll see where we'll go. Uh, we have a staff retreat coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll be looking at just some things that we need to do here as a church. As things in the culture are shifting, it affects what happens with us. Um, and so just again, I thank you, church, for your flexibility I remember when Carolyn Revere was leading a trip to Africa and I was under her leadership for this trip. We went to Ghana and she said to the group going, one of the greatest things you can have right now is flexibility on this trip because anything can happen, okay? So if you're rigid, you're going to struggle. You have to be flexible. In this, and in this day and age, we have to be flexible. And I'm glad that our church is that, that you brought your mass today. 
Um, as Pastor Sherman said, uh, we're at war against this virus and we'll do whatever we can to, to slow its spread. So again, church, I thank you. And, uh, and for us doing video worship, I know for some that's not the, the best thing or the easiest thing, but again, I thank you for understanding that uh, you know our worship team, thank God they've been able to take a break. They, they've needed a break. But as I say that, um, our leader is in the balcony, Dr. Jewell. And Dr. Jewell, um, after I finish preaching, if God puts a song in your heart, I mean, no pressure. But if God puts a song in your heart, and this young man is here who can accompany you, and you can just take us home with, with something. I, I don't know. Now, that means you're probably not going to pay attention to anything I'm about to preach. Right now. You, say what now? You already had, see, see how, oh, see. Oh, you already had the song. That's right, that's right. Cover us, sister. Amen. 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 Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19. The Bible reads from the New King James Version, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lives, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. I have to center on what Jeremiah says here, what he says, Surely our fathers have inherited lives. So let me preach a message today entitled, My Father's Lies. Stop with me. Jeremiah 16, 19, my father's lies. Stop with me. Let's pray. Father, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say to your people today. Yes, Lord, we've studied together and we've researched together. I've prayed to you. I've asked for help. But Lord, the notes are one thing. But what you want to say is another thing. Help me to work with you. Help me to listen to you while I'm speaking for you and about you. Help me to teach your people in an age, Lord, where we would rather have people tickle our ears and tell us what we want to hear as opposed to what we need to hear. Help me, Father, as I deal with a matter that has hit our culture and even infected the church. Help me, Lord, to speak well and to speak clearly. Give your people ears to hear what thus saith the Lord and deliver us from the lies that we've inherited from our fathers and above all from the lies that come against us from the father of lies, Satan. Lord, we stand in truth. We stand on truth. We stand for truth. No matter what anyone says, no matter who doesn't like it, we're people of truth. Help us to be humble and yet bold in truth. Help us to realize, Lord, that we're still learning. We don't know it all, but help us with the truth we've grasped to speak it, to live it, to love it. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, I see the clock is not working up there, so I'm going to do what a lot of old preachers do. They take their watch off, 
and set it right there. And usually that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> oh, Lord. The word bear, B-E-A-R, has two different meanings. The word bear, B-E-A-R, at least two different meanings. The word bear is a homonym because it has multiple meanings. The word bear can mean an animal in the woods. Think Yogi right now. Yogi Bear and his sidekick, Boo-Boo. Bears, an animal in the woods. Or bear, B-E-A-R, can mean an action of being patient with someone. Bear with me. Be patient with me. The two words are spelled the same, but they have two entirely different meanings. Are you, are you with me so far? That being said, please bear with me as I deal with this bear of a topic called critical race theory. Please bear with me because CRT has been a bear in our culture and even in the church. Critical race theory has two different meanings to two different groups in our country. Even though CRT is spelled the same and sounds the same, they are not the same to these two groups. One group sees CRT as a threat to society. Another group sees CRT, critical race theory, as a mere tool for society. And unfortunately, your political affiliation will likely influence which definition you hold to. Whether you see CRT as a tool or whether you see it as something that is a threat to our society. Many times how we see it aligns with our political affiliation. And if we begin with different definitions of CRT, because many times people who talk about CRT have no idea what it is. They're just parroting what other people have said to them about it, either for or against. But if we begin with different definitions of CRT, we will remain at odds and further divided. The truth is we also have different definitions of things like race, racism, and social justice. We can't seem to center in on a, a, a common definition on any of those things. So if you and I can't agree on what race is or what systemic injustice is, there's no way we're going to agree on what CRT is because we have different definitions. We have different perspectives of Black Lives Matter and what acceptable methods of civil protests should look like. We, we have differences. Black Lives Matter, it's from the pit of hell. Black Lives Matter, again, it's just a tool. It's an instrument where people agree with the plea. They may not agree with every nuance of the organization, but the plea, the cry of Black Lives Matter outweighs some of those idiosyncrasies. 
But again, we're so divided. And, and how many of you know that you can't add fractions if you have different denominators? Am, am I right? I, I wasn't great at math, but I did know, I remember that part. That in order to add fractions, you have to have a common denominator. And in order for fractured people to come together, we have to have what? A common denominator. For those of us who know the Lord, the denominator is supposed to be Jesus. But today, not only is there a Baptist Jesus, a Pentecostal Jesus, there's a right Jesus, a left Jesus, a liberal Jesus, a conservative Jesus, a Fox Jesus, a CNN Jesus, Al Sharpton Jesus, and a Robert Jeffers Jesus. Uh, but will the real Jesus please stand up? And so all of these differences among us, even with how civil protest is supposed to take place, is it acceptable to raise a fist? Is it acceptable to march? Is it acceptable to kneel? Is it acceptable to preach? Is it acceptable to vote? And so we have all of these differences of approach and perspective. And when it comes to CRT, critical race theory, it's also a part of this challenge. It makes sense that the Bible wisely admonishes disciples of Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, not to get into disputes over words because it will increase to more ungodliness because there are people who like to argue words and argue meanings and argue definitions and argue expressions so as we deal with this today, I'm not here to dispute or argue. I'm just here to do my best to lay a foundation of what critical race theory is and what it is not. So for what it's worth, here's my definition of CRT. Critical race theory is an academic movement of civil rights scholars, lawyers, and activists that formally began in the 1970s after the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. Okay, so, so take a look at that. We put that up there for you because I just didn't want to uh, read these to you. I wanted you to read them for yourself to also have a better grasp of what's going on and to maintain some of this information. But that first part, there, there are three parts to this definition. And the first part talks about it's an academic movement of lawyers and scholars and activists that began formally in the 70s. Technically, um, critical race theory, in terms of what we're going to come and see that it is, it has existed in this country as long as black folks have been in this country, okay? Uh, because black people have been critical race theorists for almost 400 years. Uh, even though it formally began in the 70s after the civil rights movement. I'll explain. Secondly, critical race theory seeks to critically examine how laws and policies interact and play out in regard to issues of race in America. So those who are proponents of critical race theory, they're, they're examining how do laws and policies interact even intersect 
in regards to race in America. Thirdly, as a result, critical race theory intentionally challenges conservative as well as liberal perspectives and approaches to racial power, racial justice, and racial equality. To put it plainly, here's how we sum it up. Critical race theory examines how race in America intersects with laws in America. Okay, are we tracking so far? Critical race theory, which was really birthed out of the realm of lawyers and scholars, examining laws and reading books and looking at history, seeing patterns over the years in terms of things that were promised on the federal level but never seeming to work out on the local level. And men and women rising up and saying, how come this doesn't equate to that? And so these people were examining these things and why they weren't coming to pass. So critical race theory is examining how race in America intersects with laws and policies in America. The law on both federal and local levels has been used in America since before 1776 to create, maintain, and reinforce white social dominance. Okay, so now this is where people want to tune out because we're speaking directly about white social dominance. And then I'll even have Christians, uh, those of the Caucasian persuasion, who will check out because they are not used to direct terminology when it comes to talking about matters of ethnicity in this country because many are under this false belief that we're all colorblind and why do you have to talk about white and black? Why can't we just be human and why can't we just be people? I find it funny that people want to come to that kind of thesis uh, not realizing that this country was built and uh, defined by race for hundreds of years. Uh, colored only uh, uh, fountains, uh, colored only entrances. Uh, uh, my people have gone from uh, Negro to colored to black to African American. And so, so nobody was questioning when color and race was used to define and even draw lines for hundreds of years. But now all of a sudden we become so fragile that we don't want to talk about it because we want to live in la-la land thinking that we don't see color. And, and I'm here to let you know you do live in la-la land. It's called lie-lie land. You see color every day. And we make judgments based on color because we live in what uh, Dr. Emerson calls a racialized society. And that is race factors into everything we do from where we live, to where we go to school, to where we shop, to what hospitals we go to. Uh, race factors into everything. So we're not gonna let white conservatives get off the hook by trying to live in lie, lie land. And in case you're just offended that I paint with such a broad brush, because I'll get whites who will come to me individually because they don't like to be lumped in with the group when the group is spoken of negatively. Whites will come to me individually and they want to prove to me that they are not what I'm talking about with the broad brush. But then I'll tell them that, uh, forgive me for using the broad brush, but I'm only being biblical. What do you mean? If you read the Bible, especially the Gospel of John, John paints with a broad brush. And he'll say, the Jews did X, Y, and Z. He didn't say, well, 
Let me give a qualifying statement. Some of the Jews. No, homeboy said, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Jesus said, the Jews. And so when I say white people, and if I don't give a qualifying statement, that doesn't give you the right to change the station. <laughs> Let's be biblical. Let's hang in there. All right? Oh, man. Let me get back on course here. The law which enslaved our people because everything that's legal is not right. Okay, just because it's a law doesn't mean it's good or comes from God. So therefore, we had to learn how to fight the law with the law in courts of law in order to acquire justice for non-white people groups in this country. Whatever level of progress and racial equity we see taking place in America right now has always come from the changing of unjust laws and not from the changing of hearts. That went too fast. Some people say, wait for people's heart to change. No, 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 while I'm waiting for your heart to change, we got to change some of these laws. Because I can't make you love me but the law can keep you from going upside my head. So let's change the law while we wait for your heart to change, because your heart may never change. And if your heart changes individually, that doesn't mean it's going to grow and ch make changes institutionally. So you'll just be a changed individual talking about you love me and you love minorities, but there are policies in place that come against minorities and even poor folk, like in uh, California right now. They passed a law to lock up homeless people. And I'm sitting there saying, who was in that meeting? Couldn't somebody have spoken up and said, wait a minute, there has to be some other solutions besides just throwing people into prison or into jail. And again, we always want to deal with the individual, but not the systems that affect individuals. Throw them in jail. Well, is that going to deal with poverty? No, but there has to be some people with a heart and a mind that will say, let's love the people and also deal with the system. But locking folk up, whether you're poor, black, or brown, yeah. is not the solution. <laughs> My God, Jesus, help me preach today. CRT primarily utilizes legal scholarship. Legal scholarship. This is why CRT is mainly taught in law school not in elementary school, not in middle school, not in high school even, and in some places not even in college, but in law school. Now, elementary school should teach some level of history. Middle school should teach some level of history, high school history, college history. But as I'm gonna say in a minute, there are people who confuse the teaching of history with the teaching of quote unquote critical race theory. So they want to shut everything down because they don't want to hear the history that deals with some legalities that goes against certain people groups in this country because it makes them feel guilty. And they don't want their children feeling guilty in elementary school. And parents are projecting onto their children their own guilt because the parents haven't dealt with the quote-unquote quote guilt. Oh, boy, oh, boy. But I still heard somewhere the truth will set you free. 
Guilt will bind you, but truth will set you free. And by the way, CRT taught in law school. I consider myself fairly well educated. Now, sometime while I'm preaching, I'll slip into Ebonics on you in a second, but I can jump right back into the King's English. You know what I'm saying? I'm bilingual like that. I'm hood and I'm holy. But, but here's the deal, though. In all of my schooling, I was never taught about Christian, uh, critical race theory. I never heard of it until last year, 2020, when I was accused of it by an upset white believer. I had to go look up what they were calling me. I'm critical. I'm a critical. They, they, they saw some books in my library and they made assumptions about me and, and, and they called me a critical race theorist. I had to go look it up. I didn't know if I just got cussed out. I, I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm here to let you know that, again, this is something that's taught in a higher level of schooling to particular people. Okay? So let's not forget this. Because just because you say that something is something, that doesn't mean that that's what it is. But white dominance says, if I call it this, then that's what it is. I'm like, no, no, no. There was a day when you could get away with that. You can't get away with that now. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Lord, I got to stop chasing these rabbits. I got to stay on task. Let me see what my clock say. All right. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Many conservatives are using CRT to mean any instruction about the role of race in America, past or present. As a result, CRT is being used as a boogeyman to shut down necessary conversations about race and racism in America and in the church. When used properly, CRT is like the scene in the Wizard of Oz. When Toto pulled back the green curtain to expose the fraud called Oz. Y'all, do, do we have a picture of Toto? Did y'all get my Toto? That, 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 that is. There's Toto pulling back the curtain to expose Oz. Because when they came into the building, they would see this, you know, image with fire and smoke and thunder and it's loud and he's speaking and he appears to have all of this power and the lion is so afraid he runs and jumps out the window. But Toto was a little smarter than all of them. And Toto said, now I'm picking up a scent. Somebody's behind this screen. And Toto, I don't know if Toto was a boy or girl, Toto pulls back, looked like Lulu, pulls back the curtain and exposes Oz, who is a fraud. And then Oz says, he speaks into the microphone, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. In other words, don't let your eyes reveal to you or or tell you what you see is really real. You're finally getting to see how the system works because we pull back the veil to show you that there are frauds pulling the strings. Frauds who have power They don't want you to know they have the power. This structural power is invisible to most people, but when the curtains get pulled back, you see who's back there. And through critical race theory, when properly used, by looking at the law and policies, the curtains get pulled back to see who's oppressing and who's being oppressed. 
which is why in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the Bible says, if you see oppression occurring, if you see it, because a lot of us don't see it, especially if we're blessed to some degree of having our health and our strength, uh, 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 food and uh, shelter, all of that. We, we don't always see unless we're being intentional to see those that we just ride by, walk by. So if you see, but in order to see, we need some totos to pull the curtains back and expose these idols in our so-called colorblind society. Critical race theory's most direct origins can be found in the work of the late attorney Derek Bell, who was the first tenured African-American professor at Harvard Law School. Bell, who worked alongside a fellow attorneys, Thurgood Marshall, Richard Delgado, Mary Matsuda, Charles Lawrence, and Patricia Williams, rigorously challenged mainstream myths of racial progress by illustrating how landmark federal legislation, such as Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and the Fair Housing Act of 1968. How all of these failed to deliver on their promises of equity and justice on state and local levels for black Americans in particular. I gave a mouthful. But these scholars, they start looking at the legislation that had been passed. And so this is why it, it formed formally in the 70s, because all of these things occurred in the 60s that gave black people some level of access in ways we had not had in the country. And so even as I go back in my mind, there was a, a civil rights amendment back in the 1800s, after slavery and after the 13th Amendment, there was a civil rights amendment but, which allowed black people to vote. But there would be so much, uh, 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 so many barriers on local levels that in the 60s, 100 years later, they had to come up with these acts to make sure that what was promised by way of amendments could be carried out. And even then, there were still barriers put in place to keep us from accessing our ability to be free in the land of the, of the brave. And so there were lawyers saying, you said this on paper, but it's not showing up in real life. And so they're examining the Housing Act, the GI Bill, when soldiers would come home from World War II and they would have access to loans to be able to buy a house in order to establish wealth in the country. But when black soldiers came home from World War II, they didn't have the same uh, response to the GI Bill as white soldiers had. So black people couldn't get access to wealth in the country, which comes mainly by home ownership, because there were laws, there was prejudice that kept them from progressing. And then you have redlining on top of that. 
So I can't get the loan to get a house to live where I want to live. Like my partner who fought in the same foxhole with me in World War II, we come back home, there's more discrimination at home than we saw abroad when we were freeing countries from uh, discrimination. We come back home, we're discriminated. I can't get a loan to get a house, and now you're redlining me to a particular community where the mortgage rates and values are not as high as other communities. And so th th this disparity continues to persist. So when people come today and say, why don't y'all just get over what happened in the past? Black people have access to this, that, and the other. You don't realize the scales are off and have been off for a long time. And don't look at the few of us that are exceptions to think that that is the way it's supposed to be for everybody. Don't look at Oprah. Don't say, well, Barack was president. What's wrong? Those are the exceptions. And culture don't mind a few exceptions to get through. But anyway, I digress. So it started again by Bell and, and other lawyers looking at, man, this stuff is not happening. Derek Bell and other legal scholars began using the term critical race theory in the 1970s as a play on critical legal theory. Critical legal theory is a branch of legal scholarship that challenges the validity of concepts like rationality, objective truth, and judicial neutrality. Critical legal theory was itself a takeoff on critical theory, which is a philosophical framework with roots in Marxist thought. Marxism is the political and economic theory uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, Fried, Friedrich Engels came up with that their followers uh, used to form the basis for communism. Communism is an economic ideology that advocates for a classless society. That is everybody having the same thing. A classless society. With communism, all wealth and properties are communally owned and not owned by individuals. Marx and Engels also predicted the revolutionary overthrow of capitalism. Well, anti-CRT paradigms tend to be ahistorical. That is, they do not consider historical context. Due to legalized segregation and the lack of fair capitalistic access in the 50s, 60s, and 70s for the black community, some black thinkers began looking at the few appealing aspects of communism. Non-compliance to segregation was viewed as being communistic. So Martin Luther King Jr., who studied and applied nonviolent passive resistance, he was accused of being a communist. So as communists are saying, look, everybody should have. But in America, it's about the haves and the have-nots. And so there were aspects of communism that, that some of the thinkers looked at to learn from. But CRT people say, oh, you're a communist, uh, you're a Marxist. And again, they use that to shut it down while divorcing the fact that black people didn't have a lot of hope nor help in trying to uh, experience and realize the promises of democracy. It was nothing but hypocrisy. So desperate people started looking at other paradigms and they saw certain things about Marxist message, but that doesn't make them Marxist or communist. Man, just because I go into McDonald's, does that make me a Big Mac? You'll get that when you get home. And so look, come on now, these are scholars again. 
And so there's Dr. King, he's studying and applying nonviolent passive resistance. And there's a picture, if you put that up, of Dr. King that was taken while he was just down the road here in Mont Eagle, Tennessee, about an hour and a half away. Uh, and, and he was there basically at a retreat learning about nonviolent measures and tactics. But the conservatives of that time, which happened to be Democrats at that time, and the liberals at that time were the Republicans. And then it has flipped. But anyway, that's another talk. So he's there, and they, they, they took a picture, and they put it on billboards all throughout the South, trying to say that the rumors they start, Dr. King is a communist. And this is proof that he's a communist, because here he is at this communist camp. And one pamphlet in particular said that these four horsemen, the people that they looked at on the pamphlet, one, two, three, four, one including Dr. King, these four horsemen of racial agitation have brought tension, disturbance, strife, and violence in their advancement of the communist doctrine of racial nationalism. I don't even know what all that means. I just know that they ain't right. Y'all tripping. Y'all are trying to discredit and demonize anyone connected to the civil rights movement in America because you're saying it's communistic. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. And just because, again, you call something Marxist or communist, that doesn't mean that's what it is. Those who classify critical race theory as Marxist do this to discredit it. They are simply reinforcing their biases, their fears, and they're being academically disingenuous because most people have never read a book on this subject. Again, they're just parroting whatever that boy on Fox News says. Even though critical race theory exposes how white supremacist ideology has historically been at the root and the forefront of legal and institutional corrosion in our country, listen to this, CRT is not an affront against white people. I gotta say it again. Critical race theory pulls the curtains back and exposes white supremacist ideology that influenced laws in this country, that affects institutions, the medical, uh, law, uh, uh, entertainment, banking, all the institutions racism has affected, but CRT is not an affront against white people. CRT is an affront against injustice. And unfortunately, injustice in America is oftentimes the offspring of white political power married to white supremacist ideology. Sadly, the main opposers of critical race theory are those who seek to deny, avoid, minimize, excuse, justify, and maintain white innocence along with white dominance. In other words, like Burger King, they want it their way. Taylor George, white brother, for the Michigan Journal of Race and Law wrote, progress in American race relations is largely a mirage, obscuring the fact that whites continue, consciously or unconsciously, to do all in their power to ensure their dominion and maintain control. In other words, those in power want to keep their power, and they will do it no matter what they have to do. To keep it. And in an article entitled White Hysteria, CRT and Eyes That Dare Not See, a white brother named David Gushy 
a professor of Christian ethics at Mercer University, writes, a significant portion of the U.S. white population simply cannot face the vicious history and ongoing reality of white racism in this country. The vast majority of the white population in the U.S. historically has identified as Christian. And any kind of close study of our nation's history reveals the complex intertwining of white Christianity and white racism. So if critical race theory threatens your religion, that likely means your religion is white supremacy. Um, if critical race theory threatens your religion, that likely means your religion is white supremacy. In addition, if you don't want teachers teaching your white children about race, slavery, and racism, but you don't mind preserving Confederate monuments, symbols, and the false belief that the Civil War was caused by Northern aggression, you are practicing hypocritical race theory. You're a hypocrite. I don't want my kids learning about slavery, but I don't mind keeping up all these Confederate, I'll fight you tooth and nail about removing that monument in Franklin, or Dustin Cocker and his crew getting ready to seal the flag off the seal in Williamson. I'll fight you. Right after I come out of Sunday school, I'll fight you. <laughs> Paul's daddy taught him about Zacchaeus. These folk, I don't know what they're teaching their kids, but they don't want to teach them the truth. As Dante Stewart writes, the resistance to critical race theory is not about democracy, religion, or concern for children. It is about white America's evasion, justification, and denial of white supremacy. One sign of white supremacy is that it doesn't respect, believe, or trust black people and our perspectives. The reason for this, in other words, you invite me in to preach a message on racial reconciliation, but the six Southern Baptist presidents who come against critical race theory won't invite me or any other black people into the room where that decision is made. In other words, you want to try to use me as a, a puppet. You want to pimp me. But when y'all are making decisions, you don't include me. And you want to make decisions about black people without black people that concern black people. That's white supremacy. I don't care how many doctors you got behind your name. That's white supremacy. That spirit is still on you. That generational curse is still on you because you haven't repented. Because you haven't told Jesus that not only are you sick, but your ancestors were sick. But you just try to smooth it over and sweep it under the rug and keep going as if that residue has not visited you and your thought processes. And we know it visits you because the minute you get confronted, your fragility shows. And you lash back, you attack, you get defensive, you shut down conversation. How do you, you can shut down what is taught in schools? I thought we had freedom of speech. Oh, that don't work for us. That's only for y'all. So this is white supremacy. Who do you think will know more about the experience of racism in America and the need to get out from under it legally than black people? Who do you think knows more about the experience of racism but black people and other minorities? But you don't value our voices because you don't believe our experiences because you don't value us as people. Uh, let me say it this way. 
I wasn't that good in biology. Wasn't that good in math either. Wasn't that good in English. But anyway, um, the human body, when you're in high school and you're learning about the body, and they start talking about what women go through once a month with a menstrual cycle. And I'm learning all of that uh, theoretically. I'm learning all of that cognitively, but I don't know any of that empirically or personally. Uh, come on, stay with me now. I've never had a menstrual cycle in my life. I don't know what cramps feel like. I don't know what any of that feels like. Um, I've never had menopause. I, I've never given birth. So it would behoove me to listen to people who have gone through these things as their experience, as opposed to me taking some kind of, again, cognitive understanding because I read a book, but I have never had the experience. And so when we start talking about racism, white folks stop trying to make cognitive decisions without listening to people who are experiencing, really, the oppression that comes from you and your ancestors historically. But if you shut me down, you don't want to listen to my experiences, but you want to make these decisions, that's racism. And it's arrogance. It's arrogance. Because if you think that white people are supreme, you're going to be arrogant. And you're going to subconsciously pass that down to your children, where they think that they're better than other children. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me tell you about LRT before I, I, I leave. I'll let y'all go. Let me tell y'all about LRT. Before there was CRT, there was LRT. Before there was critical race theory, there was literal race trauma. Literal race trauma that my people have gone through for hundreds of years. And you wonder why we, got, uh, we, we have a propensity towards high blood pressure and diabetes and all this stuff and, and anxiety because we've been going through literal race trauma for decades. CRT exists because of LRT. LRT makes most black people CRT experts without ever having to go to law school. If you've never experienced LRT, you have no place to tell people with LRT what CRT means or doesn't mean. All right, let me run it in reverse. If you've never been through literal racial trauma, don't you tell people who've been through literal race trauma what critical race theory means or doesn't mean. What you need to do is grab a seat, shut up, humble yourself, sit down, and listen to people who've gone through LRT and even came up with CRT. This message probably ain't going to get a lot of likes or a lot of listens, <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> But see, I got to quote another white brother so, you know, so I know I ain't by myself because the kingdom of God, man, is diverse. David Swanson, a white man, author and pastor of a multiracial church in Chicago, said last summer saw a massive multiracial movement for black lives, you know, because we had the murder of uh, Breonna Taylor and uh, my man earlier in Georgia. Uh, what's my man earlier? Amon Arbery. And then there was George Floyd. So, so, so last summer... There was this massive multiracial movement for black lives, but this summer, my Lord, we're arguing about critical race theory. Where'd all that compassion go? 
White backlash is what David Swanson says, is as predictable as it is destructive. So David Swanson is saying, whites will feel compassionate for a minute, but then they're going to think about it and have backlash. Remind me of Pharaoh. All these plagues had to go down for Pharaoh to finally say, y'all go ahead and leave. Go ahead and get out and bless me before you go. And worship your God. Go. go. But then after they left and they were heading out, Pharaoh thought about it and said, wait a minute, why we let them go? Because it's hard for oppressors to let the oppressed go. And he had a change of mind and a backlash. And he then went after them. That's why when we made Loosing Lazarus last summer, and I talked about white people are asking, because it was true, asking, what can we do, brother? Amon Aubrey, uh, uh, my sister in Louisville, uh, the brother uh, George, well, what can we do? And I said, I better strike while it's hot because I know the history of backlash. And we don't mind, again, dealing with individual things. And, uh, but when we start pulling the curtains back and finding out that they were lying on Breonna Taylor and what happened, and when we start pulling the curtains back about what happened in Dallas when the brother was shot in his living room uh, eating ice cream, and, and when we start pulling the curtains back and we see there's a system, there's a syndicate, there are people pulling the strings, and then they say, uh, you best not keep uh, digging here. Keep, keep on going. Uh, j just accept this settlement. We'll give you all some money. That'll help your family, but the system is going to stay in place. My God. Well, Bernice King, the daughter of Martin Luther King, said, I believe that the fear-mongering regarding critical race theory is intended to usher in the banning of any teaching of substance on the history of slavery and racism and on the current devastation of racism. And I oppose anyone quoting my father to facilitate their fear and to usher in that banning. Don't you dare bring up Dr. King and you haven't even consulted his daughter. Don't you dare try to make him uh, uh, be, be your puppet to support your racist beliefs. Unjust laws in this country brought about largely by white supremacy have also affected other ethnic groups. I'm harboring on blackness because I'm black and there's a unique history of the slavery with us and the terror era of lynching with us, and the destroying of black communities with us, and the burning of black churches with us, okay? But there are other ethnic groups that have also been impacted by the spirit of white supremacy in America. So Derek Bell's critical race theory eventually branched out into theories that examine the social hardships of other groups, such as tribal crit. That is indigenous people critical theory. Asian crit. That is Asian community critical theory. Lat crit, which is Latino community critical theory. And even fem crit. And that is uh, looking at how women have been discriminated against in this country. Any critic of critical race theory that focuses solely on the black-white binary only serves to prove they haven't read a book and only serves to prove they're, not they're naive on this subject. So why Jeremiah 16, 19, Pastor? Because you're a Bible preacher. Pastor, why Jeremiah 16, 19? Well, let me give it to you one more again. Oh, Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, 
The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, surely our fathers have inherited lies. Jeremiah is a prophet. And he's getting a glimpse of the eschatological future. When the Lord Jesus himself will reign on earth in Jerusalem from David's throne. And he's looking. And the Old Testament talks about how Israel, Jerusalem, will be the center of the world. And it will be lifted up like a crown. And all the nations will come. Jesus will reign on this earth for a thousand years according to the book of Revelation. And while he's reigning, the Gentiles will come to him. What's a Gentile? A non-Jewish person. We have a couple of Hebrew people in our church, but for the most part, 99% of us are Gentiles, non-Jewish. And so in that day, in the future, the nations, the Gentiles will come. And when they come to King Jesus, they're confessing their sins to him. And when they come, it says here, they're going to say, surely our fathers have inherited lies. So they're talking to the Lord, saying to Jesus, in the latter day, in the latter day, in the future, our fathers, we've inherited lies from our fathers. And what they're saying is, we don't believe those lies anymore. And I'm here to say, why do we have to wait till then to not receive the inheritance as far as the lies from our fathers? We don't have to wait to get to heaven to get right. We don't have to wait till the future of heaven on earth through the millennial kingdom. We can do it now and say that a lot of the stuff my father taught me, they were lies. And I reject that inheritance because with an inheritance, that's something you pass on. You're passing on money. You're passing on jewels. You're passing on furs. You're passing on houses. You're passing on cars to your family. And what they're saying is our fathers passed lies on us. Lies about Latino people. Lies about Mexicans. Lies about Arabs. Lies about Jews. Lies about black folk. They just lazy. They're dirty. They don't want to work. They're overly sexed. Uh, you can't trust them. They thieves. And you may not have said it, but you've inherited these lies subconsciously about those people, which is why you don't want to live next to them, go to church with them, go to school with them. Because again, on the books, Brown versus education, man, cut that segregation. Well, what we're going to do is start Christian schools so we ain't got to go to school with those people. So you've inherited lies in the culture. A spirit that would say, try to destroy Simone Biles because she had the audacity to not perform and entertain. Because that's what black folks do for us. I'll accept the entertainers. But when entertainers don't want to entertain, who do you think you are? You're an entertainer. I'm a person. Yeah, I love entertaining. And I wanted to see her flip and do her thing like everybody else. But I'm so proud of her that she said, I'm not going to do it. And the culture is not used to black people not only owning their blackness, but even thinking critically. Critical race theory wasn't for black people because we weren't supposed to think critically. We were supposed to believe whatever the master told us to believe, even if that meant accepting a white Jesus. We weren't to question. We weren't to think critically. So there are folks who, they can't stand this because you are not supposed to think as a black person. You're supposed to obey and fall in line 
I'm here to tell you it's a new day. It's a new day. And by the way, throughout those times when we were uh, physically enslaved, many of us didn't put up with it then. And we were called troublemakers and, and, all, and they tried to make examples out of us. And even to this day, man, my God. Oh, Lord, I got to bring a conclusion to this. The good news is you don't have to wait for that day to go to Jesus and confess to them that you inherited lies from your fathers. You can do it now. Huh. You need to recognize the lies you inherited from your fathers. The stuff y'all talk about at the dining room table, the stuff y'all say in the car, the stuff you say wherever you are. Lies. Number two, you need to reject those lies you inherited from your fathers. I'm going to put Courtney on blast. She don't mind. But her grandfather is one of the people who started Brentwood Academy right down the road here back in the day as a countermeasure to the lifting of segregation. They started these private schools that only the upper echelon could afford to go to. They would focus on the mind, the body, and the soul. So they give you a little bit of Jesus and a lot of, bit of academics and athletics. And, and man, what a wonderful community. But it was started in order to keep whites separate from blacks. Now, a little bit later, when they start losing all them football games and basketball games, they, they said, we got to get some brothers and sisters in here somehow. So we'll bring you in with scholarship, yeah, and pat ourselves on the back. But when we look around at the leadership, are there any minorities making real decisions up in here? No. And then when a white teacher speaks out against uh, the riot that occurred on January 6th, the white syndicate and power base doesn't like the abolitionist spirit that's on that teacher, and they try to shut him down. And Courtney is like, yeah, let me tell you, I'm writing a letter saying I don't agree with what y'all are doing. I don't care that my grandfather wasn't found. Look, I have not inherited to the, the lies. I love him, but he was wrong on matters of race. Oh, if we had more white people that would have courage like that and say, I will no longer inherit the lies from my fathers. As opposed to being quiet about it. You know, I, I didn't vote for Trump. Did you tell anybody? Uh, no. Because you don't want it to cost you anything. But I thought when you follow Jesus and you try to save your life, I mean, I'm going discipleship now. You lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, that's when you find it. But if whiteness is your God, don't let whiteness ruin your witness for Jesus. Say to whiteness, man, I'm casting that down. And I'm following Jesus, the one who died for all and welcomes all. And I recognize these lies. I reject these lies. And I repent of these lies. Because all truth is God's truth. You can't keep truth down for long. This is why, as William Cullen Bryant wrote in his famous poem, The Battlefield, that Martin Luther King quoted over and over again, truth crushed to earth shall rise again. So you can try to ban us from teaching the truth. You can try to ban us from preaching the truth. You can try to ban us from living the truth. But I'm here to let you know, truth Though it may get crushed, it will rise again. When Jesus stood before Pilate, 
And Pilate kept saying, I find no fault in him. But the religious leaders who were more political than spiritual said, if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar. So Pilate's like, oh man, if I let him go, I'm at odds with my boss. Then his wife sends a message to him and says, have nothing to do with this just man. I've dreamt about him. Have nothing to do with him. And he's like, but if I listen to my wife, I'm going to be in trouble with my people. He looks at Jesus and Jesus says to him that I am of the truth. Pilate then asked Jesus, what is truth? And he went on and had Christ crucified. How do you look at the truth? The truth in flesh, personified. The one who said, I am the way, the truth. How do you look at the truth and say, what is truth? And, and walk away with your agenda because you're too afraid to live by truth. You're too afraid because of what's going to happen to you economically and what's going to happen to you socially. What's going to happen to you governmentally that you walk away from truth. I did my best just to lay CRT out there. And for those who are adamantly opposed to truth, and you're just going to walk away, that just might mean that I might not see you at the latter day. Because if you can't stand for truth now, what makes us think in the latter day when the Gentiles come, you'll stand for truth and say to Jesus, we don't get down with our father's lies anymore. If we can't do it now, what makes us think you're going to do it later? Look, if you hear my voice today and you know you've been parroting lies, promoting lies, sowing discord amongst the brethren, trying to make CRT into something that it's not, you need to repent. And you need to stop inheriting lies, not only from your fathers, but from your professors, from your teachers, from your politicians, from your pastors. And come to Jesus, the truth. Because he says, all who know his voice know the truth. Father, help us today. We want a Christianity that doesn't cost us anything. But you told us that if we desire to live godly, we will be persecuted. We're not going with the flow. We're Christians. We speak to the flow. We say what thus saith the Lord. Not arrogantly, but confidently. Jesus, we need to tell the truth and dethrone the devil. His lies have held people bound for so long where they could even believe that one man was greater than another man and was even ordained by you to enslave that other man and to oppress that other man. And that's still deeply ingrained and only Dr. Jesus with his loving scalpel of truth can dig into our hearts to show us the cancer and the sickness and remove it. But we have to call out and say, I'm sick. My people are sick. Lord, I'll go so far as to say to you, I believe this country can turn around if our white brothers and sisters who name your name would drop whiteness and focus more on being a witness. If they would stop being so politically driven 
and be more kingdom motivated. Knowing that they'll suffer for it. Oh Lord, it'll turn. I thank God for the white folks I know in the kingdom of God, especially the ones in this church who encourage me, who teach me, who show me the way, who come alongside, who step out in front, who are not afraid to even follow behind me. Lord, I thank you. I pray for more across the country that they'll come out and be a witness for you. Lord, I thank you for the emails I'll get. I thank you for the text messages I'll get, people being offended. Lord, I pray they've been offended by the truth. I don't apologize for truth. I don't apologize for biblical truth or historical truth. I just pray, Lord, you'll set folk free. Lord, sometime when those demons, before they came out, folks would shake, shudder, uh, all that stuff, foam at the mouth. And I know some folk are shaking, shuddering, foaming at the mouth. But Lord, I just pray you free them from that thing that's up on them. That, that thing that makes them think they're better than other folk, better than women. Lord, I pray that you free them, free us. And then maybe a little, little later, we'll talk about what we've gone through as a people in terms of living with the mindset that we are not equal, that we are not uh, on the same plane. We've been oppressed so long that we turn towards and against each other and we destroy each other in our own communities. We're all sick. We're all broken. I'm so glad I got a Lord and a God who stands ready to put broken people and communities back together again. Hear our cry, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm sorry I held you a little long. But y'all will be all right. Amen. Let's close. Where's my sister at? You, you, oh, oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, yeah. Now, if you have to leave, go ahead and leave.